All right, let's turn in the Bible now to Luke chapter 1. This is the same passage we read for the call to worship. It's called Mary's Magnificat. It's Christmas season. This is our last Sunday. This is not our last Sunday before uh, Christmas. We have one more today, 16th. So next Sunday, the 23rd, we'll be here two days before Christmas. So we have another Sunday. And then, of course, we will be here Monday evening, next Monday evening, for Christmas Eve service. And we are really looking forward to that. But today, I wanted to share with you this most powerful, awesome passage. I know everybody has their opinions on Christmas music, and if you're one of those that don't really like it, then just kind of tune me out for a minute. I love Christmas music. I like how everybody knows the words to the songs, right? It's been interesting to me that my little kids, my three-year-old daughter, has been singing Christmas songs uh, for about the past month, and I'm wondering, how does she know those, right? But they're so familiar to us. You hear them all the time that you just kind of learn them whether you wanted to or not. Christmas songs are um, <clears throat> often about Jesus, and, and I just love them. I've got memories of uh, riding around in the car, looking at Christmas lights with the windows down, and the family singing Christmas songs. I've got great memories of my dad uh, finally getting off work Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and uh, making us Christmas breakfast while he turns the radio up and sings Christmas songs. And then, of course, I've got so many good memories of being in church, singing Christmas songs that are also church songs. What a glorious thing, right? That a Christmas song could also be a worship song. Praise God for that. I've got a lot of good memories with Christmas songs, and I hope you do too. I hope you have some favorites. I hope that even though you've heard them countless times, you think, man, I, I love this one. And even when it comes on the radio, you kind of turn it up. Or even when we sing it here, you are encouraged by it. And I hope you know the lyrics to them, and I hope they bless you. Songs are for that reason, and the content of them um, is key for that very reason. Well, I want to introduce you to another Christmas song, one we don't sing, but one you certainly should know. It's the song of Mary in Luke chapter 1. It's called the Magnificat because that is the first word in the Latin translation of this passage in the Bible. And so it's known for that. And the Magnificat, the word Magnificat just means magnifies, as you're going to see here in our beginning verse, verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies. So that's what it means. Don't get confused on Magnificat, big word. It's just the Latin word, which is the first word in the, in the, in the Latin translation. And so that's why it's called that. But this is a song. This is a song. And songs aren't always in a response to something, but sometimes they are. Maybe more often than not, they are, right? We came to church today to worship God, and we read some scripture, and we recall to mind the Lord Jesus. Today, praise God, we were able to witness a baptism. And so we have thought about the truth of God. We have thought about the Savior that Jesus is. We've thought about how Christmas is bringing all that together through the birth of a baby, the baby being our King Jesus who came to us. We've thought about all that. And then upon thinking and embracing that, we sang together. And in singing, we are singing those truths to music. It's really cool. So sometimes, oftentimes, a song is a response to something. And in our passage today in Luke 1, Mary's song is certainly a response. 
Read with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So you know that, right? This is a young girl. We're we're told that she was probably no more than 14, 15 years old. She was a virgin. She'd never been with a man. She is betrothed to Joseph. So they are are pretty much married, all but you know what in their marriage. And um, her name is Mary. Verse 28, he came to her, an angel did, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let me pause real quick. If, Chris, if Christmas has the potential to you to get so busy or so distracting, if you tend to lose focus at Christmas, you need to underline statements like that. Before she was pregnant, before she had the baby, the angel tells Mary that her baby's kingdom will never end. Do you hear that? Baby Jesus' kingdom will never end. Praise God that on December the 16th of 2018, we're here to worship the King as we are in his kingdom by faith. The kingdom will never end. And so whether we are living or whether we are dying, we are children of the King. We are people of the King. We are in the kingdom of God. Mary was promised before the pregnancy by the angel right here, your baby that's coming will have a kingdom that will never end. What truth that is. So in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, in what has to be somewhat of an understatement, how? How will this be? Since I am a virgin... Now, again, the text doesn't show us whether she was freaking out or whether she was calm or whether she was nervous or what, but, I mean, she had to have been with some thoughts, right? Verse 35, she asks how. Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That is such a key passage in the Christmas story. That's the angel coming to tell Mary. Mary asks how. He explains a little bit further. And Mary hits us with such a faithful answer. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Okay, God, if this is what you want, then that's what I want. I'm your servant, God. Your ways are before my ways, Mary believes. Your plans are better than my plans. And your life for me is better than my life for me. So God, whatever you want, not my will, but your will be done, Mary expresses. And so she welcomes it and the angel leaves. 
Verse 39 says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. That's her relative that she was just told about that's also pregnant now, who had never been able to get pregnant before. She was barren. So not only is there a miracle in Mary's pregnancy, but there's also a miracle in Elizabeth's pregnancy because she was not able to have children either. God is doing what is impossible all over the place all the time. May we be able to recognize it. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Don't miss that. Elizabeth knows that Jesus is Lord and that her relative Mary is about to give birth to him, that surely is only by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's why that's emphasized in verse 41. Do you see what she says? Why is my Lord's mother coming to visit me, she asks. Her Lord is not even born yet. Her Lord is not even crucified yet. Her Lord is not even risen yet, but she knows the truth of God's Savior who is coming. Verse 43, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Amen. So that's the Christmas story from Luke. And then we get to verse 46, and because of that amazing scene, what, what the angel told Mary and how she asks a question and how she responds, and then how she runs to Elizabeth and what Elizabeth is already experiencing, and I didn't read it, that's from earlier in Luke chapter 1, but a very similar type of thing is going on with um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, the angel talking to them, and, and, and in response to all of that goodness and work of God, and we have in the beginning of the gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, you have two ladies that uh, should not have been pregnant, and then you have two ladies that now are pregnant. It's two birth passages here in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah with John the Baptist. Mary with our Lord Jesus. And response to all of that, Mary sings a song. Do you sing when you're happy? Do you? You get happy and start singing. If it was a good spring day and like 60, 70 degrees and the sun was shining and it was a Friday afternoon, would you roll the windows down and turn the music up and say, let's go? We do sing when we're happy. You know, when Mariah's carry, when Mariah Carey's song, All I Want for Christmas is You, comes on, I sing to vow. But that's really not a part of this sermon. <laughs> I sing when I'm happy. And Mary does too. But this is not just jingle bells. Or this is not just Santa Claus is coming to town. This is Mary's Magnificat. This is Mary's soul singing. And by the amazing grace of God, we have it in the word of God for us to recall. The song we sang, I believe, is the first song today that says, he who is mighty has done a great thing. Was that the first song, Joe? 
today comes from this. If you look at verse 49, it says, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I point that out to you to show you that this is a song. Mary was singing. God had blessed her. Her soul felt that. This is not a song, listen to me. Because her husband Joseph had bought her the best Christmas present she could imagine. This is not a song for Mary because, hey, it's been a good year for the business and so you got a good Christmas bonus this year. No, this is not a song that it snowed on Christmas Day. This is a song that's much deeper than that. This is a song that she sang from the inside out. This is a song that's, that came out of her spirit, out of the soul. Mary's song. Let's read it. In response to all of that, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones." And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers. To Abraham. And to his offspring. Forever. If you don't have a favorite passage of scripture yet. If you've never tried to memorize one. Or you've never like... uh, been all about a passage, if you don't have a favorite memory verse or a life verse or anything like that, if you want to be more into the Bible than you currently are right now, let me recommend this right here, Mary's Magnificat, Mary's song in Luke 1. May these few verses, 46 to 55, become something that you treasure, something precious to you. This passage right here is absolutely loaded, not just for how how, uh, good it is and and for what she's singing in in connection to uh, the Christmas story, but for the truth that is loaded in it coming from the Old Testament about who God is and who she knows God is. I don't suspect anytime soon you're going to find yourself in a miraculous pregnancy where you need to sing a song, but you will certainly find yourself needing God. Every one of us will very soon find ourselves needing God. By the end of the day, I hope that you will. By the next few days, as Christmas is now nine days away, I'm sure that you will. The truth is, is that we all need God. And enable to have God, lean on God, trust God, stand on God, build our lives upon God, rest on God, surrender to God, we must know who He is. And Mary certainly does. Because to the birth passages, to the message from the angel to her, she responds with this. There's so much that we can preach and say from here. 
Today I want to give three characteristics of a person or soul that magnifies God. So the key word here is magnifies. You see that in verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. So the word here is magnify. Three characteristics of people or souls, because she doesn't necessarily say, I do. She says, my soul does. And certainly, your soul represents you. It's the inside of you. It's the depth of you. It's the real you. Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. And so I want us to just notice three things here today about her. And may, by God's mercy, that be the case with us. You know what magnify means, right? Without naming any names, there's some people in our church that I go visit regularly, and they have magnifying glasses laid out on the coffee tables. You know what that's for, right? They read the newspaper, or read their Bible, or look at anything, really, through the magnifying glass. And magnifying glasses are so cool, right? It takes something, and it makes it bigger. You know that. You ever seen somebody hold a magnifying glass up to their eye, and next thing you know, their eyeball's like that big? Or if you're a boy, or, or maybe girls are into it too, during the summer you can go outside and start a fire just like that with a magnifying glass. That's really cool. The sun through a magnifying glass can light anything on fire, even ants. But magnify means make something bigger. Make something clearer. Make something look bigger and better. Make it more real for us to see. If the print in your Bible is too small, you don't necessarily have to go and get a new Bible with bigger print, although you could. You could just get a magnifying glass and hold it over that small print, and what you cannot read, you could put the magnifying glass there, and next thing you know, it does like this, and you're able to see it. The words would be magnified, and now you see them, and Mary is saying that inside of her, not some deed that she's doing, It's not that she's given away Christmas presents to all the poor, right? It's not that she went outside with a megaphone and screamed out and told so many people that she gets some credit. Mary is saying that something inside of her deep down magnifies God. She feels peace. She knows joy. The presence of the Lord is there. God has found favor with her or God has given favor to Mary and she feels that. The Bible says, That the only way to be in a right relationship is with God. It is by faith and faith alone that we enter into a relationship with God. The Bible teaches us clearly that it is not by works, not by works, not by works, that God is pleased with us or that we earn something from God. It's not possible that way. Which means that Christianity or a relationship with God or God being your Father and Christ being your Lord is a spiritual thing. We have not come here today because going to church welcomes us into a relationship with God. Because putting money in an offering plate welcomes us into a relationship with God. Or doing any of our duties like playing the piano or doing a baptism or teaching Sunday school. Doing things is not what welcomes you into a relationship with God. Everything you do must flow out of faith. If it is not from faith, then it is impossible to please God Hebrews 11.6 says. Mary understands this. 
Because when God Almighty, her creator, her father in heaven, her redeemer and savior from the beginning of the world, when God Almighty has looked upon her and found favor with her, when she believed in him, on the inside of her, worship happened. Worship happened. She thought of God to be big and true and good and loving and satisfying and rest-bringing and conscience-cleansing and life-changing on the inside. Her soul magnified the Lord. God was bigger inside of her because of the way she knew him. This is what it means to believe. This is what it means to have faith. This is what it means to trust. Oh, that we would have that sort of a understanding of Christianity. That it's not our first desire that we would go out there and hit a home run for Jesus. That we would go out there and knock their socks off and turn the world upside down for Jesus if we do something or do enough or do it well enough. No. May on the inside of each and every one of us, there be a magnification, an uplifting, a making bigger God in his glory and his mercy. And may all that we are and all that we do flow out of that. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So, three characteristics of people or souls that magnify God. Number one, they speak about God's impact on their lives. They are very careful to make sure that what comes out of their mouth, at least some of the time, is what God has done in their lives. It is not magnifying to God if the extent of your witness is what you do. It does not make God look great if all you talk about is you. It does not make God look magnified if all you talk about is what you do for God. We must be very careful of this. The world is full of good people doing good things. Just stop by the local hospital or the local school and you will find countless, countless people serving hard simply for goodness sake. This doesn't make God look great. God is magnified when what we do is done because of what he's already done for us. Those that magnify God speak about God's impact on their lives. Notice how the song begins. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Do you ever talk like that? You ever break out into song about all that God's done for you? You ever sang a song about Jesus saved me, Jesus washed away all my sins, I'm forgiven, I've got joy, I've I've got freedom, God's made me alive. You ever sang songs like that? That should be the overflow. He's put a new song in my heart, the Psalms say. When you talk about being a Christian, is it just you go to church? Because that doesn't magnify the Lord. Notice that when Mary starts singing, it's about what God has done in her life. And remember, what God has done in her life is God has made a little teenage girl pregnant, and she's not even really married yet. 
What God has done in her life is going to bring some difficulty and some frustration and going to bring some stress for sure. But she knows what God is doing, that he sent his Savior, that this baby will be the Savior of the world, and she knows that. How do you talk about God? Is it like a magnifying glass? When people talk to you, do they think about God? Or are people able, listen, to be around you quite a bit and never consider God? Did you know that sometimes with a magnifying glass, you can turn it over and it does the opposite? Ever seen that? If you look at it one way, it's like blows it up. Turn it over, you look at it another way, and it's like, whoa, it shrunk it. Do you realize that the more and more that we are self-absorbed or indifferent or arrogant or boastful or prideful or perhaps just too busy or too stressed or not focused, God's not magnified where he should be magnified. Surely this crazy story of a virgin pregnant giving birth to a king whose kingdom will never end, who will grow up to save the world and treat everybody perfectly without sin, to be crucified on the cross, nailed to a cross for our sins, buried in the grave. The whole place is in an uproar. And three days later, he's, a back, he's back and he's alive and he's conquered and he, he's the king and he, he's got a whole scar here and a whole scar here and he's got one big whole scar through both feet. There were three nails that took his Life, but he's back and he's showing everybody that he reigns forever. Surely that story isn't true, and yet we're going to try to make it smaller. Surely we've not turned the magnifying glass upside down so that this glorified, magnified God of ours, who is a loving Redeemer, is made to look less because of us. The first characteristic of people that magnify God is they speak about God's impact on their lives. Can I encourage you here today to add what God is doing into your everyday talk? You didn't just get a new job. God provided you a new job. You didn't just find a wife. God gave you a wife. You didn't just have a kid. God gave you a child. You didn't just pick a church. God led you to a church. You didn't just become a Christian. God saved your soul. You're not just trying to worship him. Your soul magnifies him. Before you try to do something for Jesus, and believe me, I really want you to do something for Jesus. Before you do something for Jesus, would you seek him until your soul magnifies him? What if our doing something for him is the overflow of what he's already doing on the inside of us? 
What if God's work in us is so magnifying that what he gets out of us or what the world gets out of us is not so much how great we are, but really just how true and great he is in us? That's what happens when our soul magnifies the Lord. Number two, not only do they speak about God's impact on their lives, but they speak about the Bible. Mary's song is not just poetic. It's not that she's a top student and was able to write this amazing piece. Mary's song is full of scripture quotation. You know this because of a few things. One, at the bottom, verse 54, she says he has helped his servant Israel, which means she knows the history of the Old Testament and the story of Israel, right? Then in verse 55, she says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, which means she's very familiar with the promises and the covenant that God made to Abraham that he would make a great nation, a people, God's people out of Abraham. She knows that. She knows how once it got to King David, we were promised that David would have a son, a king on the throne forever. So way past David, way past Solomon. Those guys are long gone. There is a king on the throne forever related to David. You know who that is? Jesus. She knows all that. She knows the Bible. She speaks of the Bible, but so much more than that, is that there seems to be a very real parallel to Mary's song, to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. Our scripture reading in the middle of the service today was from 1 Samuel chapter 2, and Matt McBroom read it, and I'm not sure if you were paying attention enough at the time to put it together, but our call to worship today was this passage in Luke 1, Mary's song, and then our scripture reading in the middle was Hannah's song, and they go together so well. Listen to this. Mary's song begins like this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Here's how Hannah's begins. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Both of them have Savior. Both of them have salvation. Both of them speak of the heart, the soul, exalting and magnifying God. In verse 2 of Hannah's song, she says, There is none holy like the Lord. In verse 49 of Mary's song, she says, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In verse 4 of Hannah's song, she says, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. In verse 52, Mary says, He has brought down the mighty from their, phone, from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. In verse 5 of Hannah's song, it says, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. In verse 53 of Mary's song, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Well, Hannah's story, if you don't know it, is that Hannah wanted a child and she wasn't able to have children. She too was barren. And she sought the Lord and she fasted and she prayed to God 
that God would give her a child. And if God would give her a child, Mary said, I will dedicate, or Hannah said, I will dedicate that child to you all the days of his life. And God gave Hannah a baby, Samuel. She raised that boy to know and fear the Lord, and Samuel did. He became a prophet to God. And because of that, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah, in response to who God is and what he had done for her, Hannah sang that song in 1 Samuel 2. It was a response to what God had done in her life. In Luke chapter 1, Mary gets a message from the angel that she's going to have a baby. Then she's told that her cousin uh, Elizabeth is going to have a baby too, and she's been barren. Mary asks a question or two, but then her response is a song. But her song is full of Scripture. Her song is full of the promises of God. Do you have any verses to sing? Do you have any truth to recall? Do you find yourself in and out of your days when times are tough, comforting yourself by Scripture? Do you find yourself, when blessing upon blessing is obvious in your life, reminding yourselves of how good God has been to you? When your soul magnifies the Lord, are you reminded that that's what God does? Are you like Hannah or Mary, that Scripture is what you talk about? If Scripture is what you talk about, then your soul magnifies the Lord. One commentator says, what an admonition to us all, both women and men, young and old, to steep our minds and hearts in the scriptures day and night so that the words and thoughts of scripture fill our mouths as naturally as they did Mary's. Number one, they speak about God's impact on their lives. Number two, they speak about the Bible but lastly, number three, a characteristic of a person or soul that magnifies God, they have been humbled by God's mercy. There is no place for arrogance and pride in the magnifying soul. The soul will not magnify God if it's raging with self-centeredness, me, 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 attitude, pride. It will not. Notice where Mary's song goes from here. It begins in verse 48 by saying, God has looked on the humble estate of, her, of his servant. She admits that he has done great things for her. Verse 50, she says that his mercy is for those who fear him. So she's already spoken to the fact that she needs a Savior in verse 47. She needs his grace in verse 48. Now in verse 50, she needs his mercy. She fears him. And it's the same promise for everybody from generation to generation. One of the beautiful things about the Bible, listen to me, is that God's call to salvation has never changed. It has been true since the beginning that if you will bow your knee and trust God, he will receive you. If you will admit your need, confess your sins, humble yourself, if you will, God will receive you. If you will get over yourself, if you will admit your wrongs, 
If you will acknowledge that he's greater than you, more important than you, more glorious than you, he will receive you. For Jesus came during this Christmas story as a baby so that he could die, so that he could die for your sins, so that God could forgive you of your sins, and he will if you will turn to him. Mary knows this. You could say the theme of the song is God and what he's like, but you could also say the theme of the song is how humbled those are that have come to know God. Verse 51, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God opposes the proud. Verse 52, he's brought down the mighty, but he exalts the humble. He's filled the hungry, but he sends away the rich. If you think you don't need him, then he will make sure you don't have him. But if you know your need and your dependence, you can have him. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God loves to receive those who desperately cry out to him. This Christmas season, may we remind ourselves we want him to be magnified. We don't care if we're magnified. We don't desire ourselves to be magnified. Marcus and Rachel don't want to go to wherever they're going so that you think well of them. They want to go there so that a whole country and nation of people will know this Jesus. One commentator says, the only people whose soul can truly magnify the Lord are people like Elizabeth and Mary, people who acknowledge their lowly estate and are overwhelmed by the condescension of the magnificent God. If you take a step back and look at Mary's situation, it really is crazy. It is a crazy story. I think one that only God could think of. Beautiful and glorious and majestic and masterful and magnificent. Mary is going to be the mother of God in the sense that God took on flesh and was born of a human. That's Mary. And to that great true story, her soul magnifies the Lord. She speaks about it. She's full of scripture because she knew that God was going to send a savior. And she knows that it is to God's glory and not to hers. She is humbled. She is broken. She is desperate. She is crying out. How about you this Christmas? Do you magnify the Lord? As they gather at your house in the next week, will Christ be seen bigger because of the magnifying glass that your soul is? Will your hospitality and humility and speech exalt him? Will they enter your house knowing that Christ is in the picture? They know you go to church. They know you have a Bible. They know you're here today. They know the tension of you kind of want to be there at Christmas Eve, but you're going to have to totally disrupt plans if you all get to come on Christmas Eve. Everybody's aware of that tension, and we have a Christmas Eve service. 
Are they going to show up at your house and know that Christ is in view, but will he be shrunken to smaller, or will he be magnified? But well beyond the holidays, because they get hyped up so much. Y'all, 2019 is only 15 days away. 2020 is less than 400 days away. Will Christ be magnified through us? Will Christ be seen as bigger? Will our humility show it? Will our familiarity with the truths of Scripture and their, their influence in our lives, will God's impact on our life overflow into the impact of other people's lives? Will God be magnified? I began talking about Christmas songs. Here's a Christmas song here, Mary's Magnificat. But I want to tell you of one other. Maybe you like it. It's called The Little Drummer Boy. You know that one, right? That one, you know that one? I don't know if you've ever listened to the lyrics before. The chorus, the is so familiar that you may not know the lyrics. It's a made-up story of a little boy who's come to see baby Jesus. And he begins by saying, the finest gifts we bring, speaking of the wise men, to lay before our king. That's in the Bible, right? The wise men came from far away and they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they laid them down before the king. You know that, right? And so he's talking about that, our finest gifts we bring to lay before our king. That's Christmassy. But then he says this, little baby, I'm a poor boy too. And I have no gift to bring that's fit to give to our king. If you're trying your best to emulate the wise men this Christmas and bring the great gifts and be like them, may I submit to you that may we also be like the little drummer boy who has acknowledged, admitted, confessed, humbled himself to say, Jesus, I don't have a gift to bring that's fit for a king. I don't either. And no offense, but you don't either. What are you going to give to the one who made you? Well, the beautiful truth of the gospel is he has not asked you to bring gifts. God has not asked you at Christmas time to put your best foot forward. God has not asked you to get yourself together and do better. He's asked you to believe, to trust. And the little drummer boy says, little baby, I am, a poor, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. So I'll play my drum for you. And he has nothing to offer except for a faithful song. He has nothing to give Jesus except for a faithful song, you are glorious 
My sins won't be forgiven. My life will ache. My pain will be real unless you save, forgive, change, meet my expectations. Unless you become everything to me, Jesus, I have nothing. The little drummer boy knows it. Mary knows it. And this Christmas, may we know it. Trust in Jesus. Bow your heart to him. Believe in him. Ask him to forgive your sins. Humble yourself before him. And he'll be magnified. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for songs that express what we're feeling. Thank you for Mary's song. And thank you, God, that you've given us a category in life of a soul that magnifies you. Father, I pray that you now would work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.